You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts on KOPN, an hour of news, views and interviews on the arts in mid-Missouri. I'm Diana Moxon. On today's show, I'll be talking to Marie Nowhunter about arts advocacy and the state of the arts. And later in the show, I'll be catching up with Karen Shortstout, Louise Sava and Michelle Markham from an organisation that is close to my heart, the Columbia Art League. We'll be talking about Arcana, their new huge show based on tarot cards that opens tonight. But first... It is a delight to have Marie Hunter to myself for 25 minutes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me, Diana. Welcome, Marie. It's so good to speak to you. You, you know, too. you're one of the few people, I think, that has such a huge overview of all of the arts. You've worked, you know, at the state level, at the local level. And so it's exciting to get your input onto, like, you know, what is the state of the arts in right. Missouri. But now I hope, I know you hate long bios. Uh, I um, do. However, <laughs> you are so accomplished in oh. the world of the arts and arts Thank advocacy you. that it's kind of hard to edit down your highlights reel. So when we first met, you were manager of the Office of Cultural Affairs and were a saviour to me and a font of knowledge as I first navigated the local arts scene as the executive director of the Columbia Art League and it was tough and I really valued being able to go and knock on your door and you always just said come in and sit down and you would help me through things like grant application and just you know where to go to for what information so thank you you're welcome (laughs) I was just doing my job (laughs) you were doing it very well thank you and since then you've also served on various boards and panels for both the Missouri Arts Council and Missouri Citizens for the Arts and you are currently chair of the Missouri Citizens for the Arts Advisory Council correct amongst other responsibilities is there anything else that we should add to that as a current snapshot of your busy life uh, that's good I like your snapshot <laughs> good good job thank you very much yeah I, I cut a lot out so I, <laughs> no right. offense to anybody no. any organizations that's that were okay. missed that's all right so let's start with a huge question how important have the arts been in your life? Oh, I think absolutely formative. I mean, I think I'm probably not unlike a lot of people that are art supporters. I started out uh, as a kid just loving the arts and fortunately with an art supportive parent who encouraged me. And um, little known fact, I actually was a fine arts major um, in college and um, then changed. So I, you know, I was one of the people that I ended up working with a lot of so that was you know a good experience to have in in my mind studying art um, and thinking that maybe I would be practicing art and then I switched gears a little bit but you know continued I've really always worked in the arts my work has always been art related in some way not necessarily making art which I haven't really done since I was a college student so what flavor of fine arts did you study I was um, a visual art major so painting I have um, no I was a graphic design major commercial art major but in early classes you're doing all of 
the painting, the you know watercolor, um, drawing, 3D design. So um, I have about 20 hours of studio art before I then changed my major. But I changed to art history and then worked my way into arts administration in my working life. Do you ever make art? Um, Are there things in your house? That, um, that <laughs> I came across my drawing portfolio uh, recently in the basement. <laughs> I did have a moment of thinking, "Wow, that's got, that's pretty good." <laughs> I mean, it was you know like drawing one and two, cross, you know, cross hatching kind of stuff, um, working on shadows. I do. I do things with my hands. I do. I love to needlepoint, and but in terms of sitting down to paint or draw, I really I do not do that. One of the things I learned as a graphic design major this will this will date me a little bit. It was right as graphic design was becoming really computer oriented, but they had kept cra- uh, graphic design one classes so that you were working on actually with your hands lettering and so I learned traditional calligraphy in my graphic design one class so I can still do traditional calligraphies which I do I guess that's that would be creating that would be in that category you know I often used to get people call me at the Columbia Art League to ask me specifically if I knew any calligraphers Mm -hmm. and I'd usually pass them on to Kate Gray who is is beautiful uh, calligraphy work but now I know now you know (laughs) you know another calligrapher (laughs) so stepping back from you personally why are the arts essential Mm. to society as a whole well I think You know, all you have to do is look at how we preserve our history, how we define ourselves. And it's absolutely through the arts. It's literature. It's music. It's the visual arts. Anything that we preserve, I mean, if you study history, if you look look at your kid's history textbook, which... That would be online now, but but even then, how is how do we teach history? It's through the arts. It's plays that were written about the times, the paintings that depict what was happening, it's the sculptures that commemorate a person or an event or an ideal. Um, it's dance, it's song, certainly literature. So, the arts really are. Unfortunately, we are viewed as an extra but really they are this essential way of communicating and preserving and celebrating i am interested in the growth of arts and science being brought together so i Mm -hmm. i had been to trinity college in dublin last summer we went to the science gallery there which was super interesting and it was all art projects that kind of or science project that had an art component or Mm -hmm. art that had a science component and it was so fascinating of course there were kids everywhere and they were everything was interactive and so you were playing with like you know there was a a lump of uranium that was in a box and it had been the, the radioactive components that have been turned into different musical notes so as you move this little tray under the uranium it, the uranium played music yeah you had to fight your way to it that's so many right, people because in front so of many you. people well and <laughs> you know actually I, you make such a great point that really almost every discipline can be taught 
with the arts or demonstrated or highlighted or you know, I mean, it's it's a really unique thing about the arts that you can um, pair it with math, with science, certainly with history, with English, with you know. Um, but for some reason, that isn't always uh, evident to people. But it's it's a, across the board. I would say that it is one of the most universal ways to communicate. And there are so many studies done on in schools on how adding mm-hmm. more arts to the syllabus cuts down on truancy, it cuts down on bad behavior. Right. Children are so much more engaged uh, in, in schooling uh, when they yeah, have the kids arts. Kids who are involved in the arts have better attendance, they are in trouble less, they do better in school. There's even some studies about SAT scores for kids who are involved in music. Um, so yeah, but but why is it that if there's all this evidence that we, for some reason, aren't always supporting the arts in schools? It's kind of a, a funny thing that, not funny, ha-ha, but funny, strange, right. that those connections aren't better made. And I, I wonder whether, you know, as adults, so many of us forget mm-hmm. how much we loved art as right. a child and it becomes less important to us as mm-hmm. adults so we don't it's not front of mind we forget how important uh, it mm-hmm. is growing up and I think we often uh, lose our faith in our own abilities somehow yes. so I think many people me included mm-hmm. I loved art at school I had one bad exam Mm-hmm. And I never touched art again. Well, I think you have made a great point, And that is that that moment in people's lives when they go from being free with their acceptance of art and their um, work in art to having that self-conscious moment of saying, I can't sing or I can't dance or I, I'm not a good I'm not good at drawing. So there is something unfortunate that happens in, a, in some m- many people's lives at a certain stage where they lose that confidence in creation. And maybe that then translates to what you're talking about. I mean, our lives are full of design. All those people out there who think they know nothing about the arts, they don't know how to appreciate the arts probably don't recognize how many design related decisions they make every single day every brand every brand right. that they identify right. is all done to yeah. art right. the 2017 arts and economic prosperity study uh, which looked at the economic impact of non-profit arts and cultural organizations and their audiences in missouri and i think around the country too right um, had compelling numbers between arts organizations and audiences there was over one billion dollars in billion with a b right. in direct expenditure and that is in missouri right not nationwide and, and not only is it just in Missouri, but that's just nonprofit agencies that were studied. There were others that weren't even in that, and it didn't take into account the for-profit arts businesses that are Right. So it's <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. Just shy of ninety million dollars again in the nonprofit sector, I guess, was revenue was generated right. for state and local governments. So right. it's a, it, it offered ninety million more do- dollars to the state coffers. Almost thirty two thousand jobs are created within the nonprofit sector in arts and culture, and a staggering twenty one point four million people attended events, which given that our population is uh, just over six million, means that right. everybody went to three on average three and a half right. events. Let's hope. So given Given those numbers, mm-hmm. how is funding for the arts ever in question? Uh, it's that 
it, it's always in question, unfortunately. It's, you know, Groundhog Day. You wake up every year and you go, oh, we got to go down there and fight for art funding. It's really unfortunate. And I don't think it's because, um, well, certainly it's not because there aren't good uh, numbers that back it up. So it was, you know, really important for the Missouri Arts Council to do that work along with the Americans for the Arts because it does provide the proof. And, boy, it's a million-dollar question about why we can't communicate better that message. I, I do think there is good communication about it, why that isn't accepted or advanced more I don't know and when you th- when you say looking at those numbers of how many people attended events so as a state on average mm-hmm. we all go to arts events so mm-hmm. we all know that it's important right so we should all be advocating mm-hmm. and voting for money to be spent on the arts because right. it makes us human right gives us a soul right for sure and I think there's a real danger in thinking about obviously the basics are essential we must all have, you know, food and shelter, and we like to have uh, electricity in our homes and flushing toilets and all of those things. But I think there's, uh, it's really important for us to also consider the soul, like you said. And, and if, if we have no beauty, if we have no oh opportunity to express or or um, experience expression by others it it changes things and changes it in not a good way so i think it's important to see the arts as an essential and it and one of the main points of advocacy is access um, so that everyone needs the opportunity to enjoy music and dance and theater and see beautiful things that um, if we aren't striving for public support of the arts then it really does narrow those audiences to those who can on their own consume the arts so talk a little bit about how the money flows so Mm -hmm. at a national level we have the national endowment for the arts and that organization uh, or federal organization puts gives money to each state right now each state much must match that money correct this is where the missouri arts council comes in so not only are they distributing money that's been allocated from our own state government Mm -hmm. but they are also the passing point from federal money into the state right so if you think oh national endowment for the arts that's in washington dc that doesn't really you know matter to me that's not the case at all because the nea supports every state Arts Council, and in the state of Missouri, it's anywhere between seven hundred to nine hundred thousand dollars that comes from the National Endowment for the Arts into the Missouri Arts Council's budget. They don't sit on it; they want to get that out, so they are then granting that out to arts agencies around the state. There's over over five hundred arts organizations in the state of Missouri that are receiving Missouri Arts Council funding all the way from little little projects in very small communities to bigger projects in um, larger communities. So it's, it's a significant amount of money that's getting out into communities. I always like to talk about that as, you know, there for a while, stimulus was a, a key word. Well, it, the Missouri Arts Council money, the NEA money, really does become stimulus because if an arts organization gets money from the Missouri Arts Council or the NEA, they're matching it, number one. 
and then they're spending it in their communities. So they're paying for printing, they're purchasing services, they're paying staff people, they're buying all kinds of things to produce their arts events. So that money doesn't just support an arts event, it supports many um, businesses in the community. And and how is that federal number decided? Does it depend on just how much the federal government grants to the NEA? Or like what, what makes it vary? That I cannot give you an answer on. I'm sure there's the a great formula. Right. There's some fabulous formula out there. So I, I don't know how the NEA... But I do know that they one of their missions is to support every state arts council and it's a reason that we always want the state to be budgeting for the Missouri Arts Council so that they can then access that funding from the NEA. And within our own state government there is a tax called the Athletes and Entertainers Tax. Tell us a little bit about that. Well it's commonly known as the A&E tax and it basically it's a it's a really creative way of Um, generating some dollars, taxes, athletes and entertainers that come from out of the state of Missouri and are here to perform. So Elton John does a concert in St. Louis or Kansas City or Columbia, and part of his contract is this tax that goes to the state of Missouri. Some professional team comes and plays in the state of Missouri, you know, plays the Cardinals, all of those players that don't reside in the state of Missouri pay a tax. It's collected into this pool that's the, called the A&E tax. And then the proceeds from that then are to be split among the cultural partners, one of which is the Missouri Arts Council. I'm going to test my memory here. Historic preservation, libraries. Humanities Council. Yeah, Public Radio Humanities Council. Public Broadcasting, yeah, that's and it. Public Broadcasting, <laughs> okay. So um, the Missouri Arts Council has a larger percentage than those others, but all the cultural partners are to get a percentage. The problem is very little of the 60% is supposed to come to the cultural partners, but um, it, it, I don't think it ever has. And so a very small percentage then comes to the groups and so then of course you know there's less than that goes out to different communities through granting so people who don't support the arts for whatever reason and think well why should my tax money go to that it mm-hmm. isn't their tax no, money that's right. going it's to people it. that are coming from out of state that it, so it's a good so like i said it's a creative way to collect funds that could support things locally and statewide the numbers here i have well, it must be 2017, Missouri Department of Revenue collected nearly $40 million in new mm-hmm. funds from the A&E, Athletes and Entertainers Tax, who have worked in Missouri. And yeah, by statute, 60% is allocated to the Missouri Arts Council, which would be $21 million right. that would go to Missouri mm-hmm. Arts Council. But I think funding for this year was, what, 4.8 4. 4. million? 4.8 million. Mm-hmm. And so there is also written into the statute, or I think it was changed, that that money could be appropriated. Mm-hmm. So if the general fund needs it, Right. Then even though this statute exists that says right. we have this tax mm-hmm. for this specific purpose, the general fund can still say, well, we're overriding that and we're going to take Correct. most of your money away. So the three words that matter in this are subject to appropriation. <laughs> it has to be so that um, what did you say? The 21 million, that 21 million has to be appropriated and it may be appropriated elsewhere. It's, it's something that 
makes us sad every year <laughs> because it it does get swept and it's not the only fund that gets swept i think it's commonly done but i guess compared to maybe our neighbors in kansas we mm-hmm. are lucky to have 4.8 million dollars coming to the arts yeah in fact kansas almost lost their count their arts council and they have one staff person and pretty limited budget they're still accessing their uh, national endowment for the arts funds but um, it's an example of you know talking about the importance of advocacy i know that there are art-loving Kansans, um, and I'm sure they worked hard on advocacy. But it's why it matters every year for us to say to our elected officials, I benefit, my community benefits, my kids benefit, I benefit from the arts, and it's important to me that you find a place in the budget to support the Missouri Arts Council. And this is what Missouri Citizens for the Arts does. So this is an advocacy group. We have one Lobbyist, I guess, Kaina Iman, right. who yeah. hangs around in Jeff She's City fabulous. and <laughs> knocks on doors. And right. as you know, it's important. And there is a Citizens Day Correct. every February right. um, that anyone can get involved with. Absolutely. Come on down and knock on those doors with Kaina. Um, but I, uh, Citizens Day for the Arts is, is a great event, and I encourage people to come. But I think it's important for people to recognize that advocacy is a year-round thing. And um, it's something that you should be doing, you know, whenever someone knocks on your door asking for a vote or you run into an elected official in the grocery store or at the cocktail party. You say, hey, you know, I I value the arts in my community and I hope that you're supporting locally. We've got the Office of Cultural Affairs. Our city needs to support that with city dollars are statewide, the Missouri Arts Council, and then nationally also. And I think locally, I, I would doubt that any of our local state officials don't support funding for the arts because they see how vibrant Columbia is. So right. they see it in action. They see yeah. those dollars from the arts and uh, athletes and entertainers tax in, right. in action. But if you're not used to wandering around the halls of government <laughs> and randomly knocking on right. unknown legislators' door, it <laughs> is nerve-wracking. It is. Yeah. And if you draw, as I did, if you draw the straw of a politician whose primary concern is upholding the Second Amendment and tax cuts for big businesses, it's a bit like trying to talk about solar panels to a cave dweller. They, they're not interested. Right. And it's kind of scary. And right. I was not good at it. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you make it work? Well, I think you have to circle back. First of all, I think you have to be realistic. And you have to just really believe in what you do and what you're saying and your cause. And you know that some people aren't going to agree with you. But it's important for you to say those words for them to hear you. And they have to hear you. They need to hear you. I would always circle back to the um, study that you shared with, you know, the the unfortunate thing is going back to what we were talking about before, that so many people see the arts as this extra thing, and they don't equate it to, you know, the arts are an industry, employing many, many people and spending money and bringing money in. It is no mistake that the Missouri Arts Council is a part of the Department of Economic Development. That means... The arts are an industry. So I think um, being armed with numbers like the Missouri Arts Council was able to bring out in their economic impact study is really, really important. Sharing those, showing the impact, and also showing uh, how many different organizations in a certain region are receiving Missouri Arts Council funding. Sometimes 
the Missouri Arts Council funding may be the only thing that's supporting an arts event in a smaller community or assisting schools with arts education. So it really, I think you can make those connections and you just have to keep at it, the Groundhog Day thing. And so if people want to be more involved with advocacy, they can become a member of Missouri Citizens for the Arts. They can support the organization year-round. It isn't just once a year. You no, can right. It's absolutely, it's a year-round thing that we all need to be saying and doing. And unfortunately, I think you and I have talked about this, that sometimes in arts organizations, we are so focused on the art that we're making or providing or presenting, we forget about the importance of messaging, about how important we are as an industry and the impact that we make on the economy and quality of living and education. Do you happen to know, you might not know this, what date the Advocacy Day is next year? It's usually uh, mid-February. It's fe- no, it's, I think it's, uh, it's February um, 8th, I think. You don't have to be a member, and because we're in mid-Missouri, it's really easy to come down. There's information on the uh, Missouri Citizens for the Arts website, which is www.mo and the number 4arts.org. So join us. Uh, You don't have to be a member, like I said. We're just happy to have people. But also, if you can't come in February, you can always write. You can call. You can email. And especially around election time, you can let people know when they're knocking on your doors. You can ask them about how do they feel about, you know, we've got a senatorial campaign that's happening um, uh, nationally. So um, it's important to ask those candidates how they feel about NEA funding and then statewide about MAC funding. And if you want to get a hold of those numbers that I talked about earlier, those are available from the Missouri Citizens for the Arts website and also from the Missouri Arts Council. Missouri Arts Council, right. Um, They've got a lot of good information out there. I believe it's February 6th is um, Citizens for the Arts Day. So sign up to get their emails and then they'll be reminded about that. But yeah, if you speak to a senator, remind them that over $1 billion in direct expenditure went to the arts uh, in mid-Missouri in 2017, and that's only the non-profit organizations that were studied. Thank you so much, Marie Hunter. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And thank you for all that you continue to do and have done for so many years to support the arts in Columbia and across the state. You are making a difference every day. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia. And after a short break, we'll be back with Karen Short-Stout, Louise Sava and Michelle Markham from the Columbia Art League about the big tarot card art exhibit opening tonight. Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts, and it's like being in my old gang again (laughs) with a bevy of art mavens from the Columbia Art League, Education Director Karen Shortstout. Hello. Operations Manager Louise Sava. Hi. And Board Director Michelle Markham. Hello. Welcome to my new haunt, ladies. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Nice to meet you. We need some some more art in here. I always think when I come in, but there's not a huge amount of space, so uh, we need some small, small artworks to go around the top. Like well, we can definitely hook you up. <laughs> you know the right people. <laughs> so tonight is the big opening night at the Columbia Art League for Arcana. So Louise, start off by explaining what that's about and what Arcana means. Sure. Arcana is our exhibit based off of the tarot deck. So Michelle can go into a little bit more about the history of the tarot deck, but it is essentially a deck of cards that is somewhat of a fortune-telling device. It There are 78 cards in the deck, and so each of our artists in the spring 
Wang came in and selected a card from the deck to use as their inspiration. Then over the last five or six months, they took the time to really dig into the history of the card, the imagery, the symbolism, and produce a piece of artwork that represents that card in the deck. So then earlier this week, when we accepted all the artwork and hung the show, we have a full tarot deck on our walls in the Art League. So nobody didn't show up. Everybody came through. Well, we're working on a few little snags, but we will have a full deck. So we're really excited about that. Did I mean, you only have 78 cards in the deck. That means only 78 artists. The first 78 through the door can get a card. Were there many people who came after the last card had been taken? Oh, yes. We went out of the deck in about two or three days. We had allotted about a week and a half, and it went quick. So, And we had people coming all summer who wanted to be a part wow. of the show. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine. So, Karen, I know that you have wanted to do this show for years. Why? Since the day I started. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you want to do it? Um, Well, I've always been fascinated by the tarot deck. The imagery just um, really speaks to me, and I think it speaks to everyone because they are archetypes. So that's where that word arcana comes from. The cards are referred to as the major and minor arcana. And so those images are just so universal and they just have so much richness. And so when I came on board at Cal and I learned about the deck of card shows that we had done in the past when you were our fearless leader, (laughs) I thought, oh my gosh, we have to do a tarot deck at some point. And so last year we finally sold the last deck of playing cards that we had produced. And so we were thinking, should we print some more? What should we do? And I just thought, okay, now is the perfect time to do this Arcana show. We're going to make a whole new deck, and it's going to be brilliant. And I am not disappointed. I'm really excited <laughs> about how it turned out. So. Now, tarot cards are much bigger than regular playing cards, right? So you're doing a kind of an outsized deck, or are you going to do them like a small deck? Um, they are a little bit larger than playing cards. I'd say they're maybe about a third mm-hmm. larger than a typical playing card. So they will be a little bit bigger because the imagery is what's so key. So you really need to see the details that the artist has put into it because every little thing has significance. And what we're really excited about is that so many of the artists really did think about it. They really did do their homework. Everything is so intentional that they put into their piece. And so we definitely want those cards to be a very high quality reproduction of the artwork so that as people are using the deck to do their own tarot readings, they can have that experience. So yeah. And Michelle, you have a huge interest in tarot cards. Where did it all start for you? Uh, well, you know what? I just started to explore my spirituality and was really called to start investigating the tarot deck and actually decided as an artist to start working on my own tarot cards so that I could become more familiar with them. And I remember one day I was at the Art League and I was talking to Karen about starting my own deck and she got really excited. And so I think from the beginning, we really wanted to do this and I'm really excited. And we even were talking and were wondering, are we going to be able to do this? Will it be accepted? And people were really excited. And actually, I think people are very excited to actually you know, put together the deck. So I, I think that there's a lot of mysticism and sometimes even it's a little taboo to talk about tarot cards. But even from just a basic form, if you don't believe in spirituality, everyone is handed, like dealt a hand of cards. With tarot cards, you can actually look and see what hand you've been dealt. So you can look at it more like Rorschach. It's like looking at it and just seeing it 
at a face value. But if you do believe in spirituality and you do believe in higher power, you do believe that maybe your ancestor is communicating to you, you can take it to the next level and actually see a deeper meaning within each of the cards. Now, Louise, were there any, uh, and Karen, because you were there when the cards were pulled, were there any mystic moments when the cards are pulled? Did everybody say, did anybody say, I can't believe I drew the tower or the sun or the four of pentacles or whatever yeah I think there certainly there certainly was we had a few people who came in and were like really shocked Mm -hmm. by the card that they drew (laughs) and it's neat because those pieces end up being so personal and end up being a really great interpretation of the card not just image for image or symbols for symbol on the original card but really taking that card understanding what it means to them and kind of turning that back out into a representation of what the card means so it's really neat to see some of those really personal connections to the cards between the artists. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of the interesting experiences are for those artists who really had no idea what they were going to do with their card Mm -hmm. when they got it. Maybe it wasn't the card they were hoping for, but then through the process, the meaning really became clear. And it was like, oh my gosh, this was totally the card I needed at this moment. Anastasia Pottinger is a great one. She she got the Four of Cups, which, you know, she was just like, what does this mean for me? I don't understand. So then I explained it to her a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe you can explain the Four of Cups, but basically through the process of struggling with this card and struggling to figure out what she was going to do, it all became clear and she was just like, this card has actually been totally life-changing for me like it really influenced some big decisions she made Mm -hmm. and and her work is amazing you really I'm not going to give too much away but you just have to see the piece she came up I've seen it on extraordinary Facebook I think yeah (laughs) Yeah, there is a lot of introspection with each card and and I think it's really interesting that cards all mean different things but even reverse so upright has one meaning and whenever it's reversed has an opposite meaning upside down you mean yeah upside Mm -hmm. down they call it reversed um, Mm -hmm. as used in divination but it doesn't always mean that upright is good and upside down or reversed is bad. Sometimes it can be the opposite. Like I did the three of swords. And so upright is about heartbreak and unrequited love. And so it's a heart with three swords and, you know, there's clouds and lightning in the background. But reverse, it's actually about moving on and moving past all that. And so sometimes you, you find that in the, the card. So it really depends. Each card has its own independent meaning. Mm-hmm. Did anybody pull a card and say, no, I want to put it back. I don't want this one. <laughs> a little bit, but we just said, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the destiny. Yeah, it is. Cards have spoken to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, Michelle, tell us about the composition of a tarot deck. Okay, actually, um, so I thought that tarot cards probably had some like ancient mysticism. It started back in ancient Egypt because a lot of the symbolism around it is tied to the Kabbalah, Tree of Life. And then it turns out really it was just a playing card game that was started during the Renaissance. Um, It was actually in Northern Italy. And it was just a regular playing card. You know, you, you see it even today when you're looking at any playing card deck with you know, hearts and spades, and there's even a fool card in there, you know, the Joker. And then it moved into France, and that's really when it started having the deeper meaning assigned to each card. And then really, um, it was like the mid-19th century, Elevi Levi wrote the doctrine of ritual and magic, and that's really when all that mysticism got tied in with the Kabbalah and with the Tree of Life. And um, and then we associate most of the imagery with Pamela Coleman Smith and her illustrations. So before, you know, it was just like a playing card deck. You had, instead of the hearts, you had cups, and it was just like three cups. But 
to further it as a divination tool, she went through and actually illustrated each. And so now if you look at the Three of Cups, it actually has three women dancing. In the old days, you had to just kind of memorize or look into it deeper and really use your intuition in order to read the card. But with her um, introducing these new imagery, it really opened up a whole new world and made it much more accessible to the public. And most of the tarot cards today are based off her illustrations. And so a tarot deck has, it has 78 cards and there are four suits, each with 14 cards. So it's kind of like a regular deck. You've got ace through till 10, but then you have, you have a knight and uh, kind of another knight. Knight, page, queen, and, and king. king. And that can change between deck, but that's pretty standard. So there's four, four suits, and, uh, which are called the minor arcana. Mm-hmm. And those are divided into cups wands, swords, and pentacles. Yes, and that's actually based off the original Italian deck, and then the French deck changed it to clubs, hearts, spades, and diamonds. So if you're actually going to use the playing card deck, which you can actually gypsy card readings typically use the actual playing deck for divination, you would do the wands or clubs, the the cups are hearts, the swords are spades, and the pinnacles are diamonds. So besides that, that's 56 cards. And then you have 22 cards, which mm-hmm. are the major arcana, which are probably the more iconic ones where you have death and the hanged man and the sun and those big cards, the tower, and I, I, there's 22 yeah, and, of them. And altogether. that's actually and the, the, fool. Fool, the fool's journey. So the first card in the deck is the fool, and it's the zero card. And that's because that is the fool who has not experienced anything. And I think sometimes people pull the fool and they think it's a bad card because they're being foolish but actually there's kind of this light-hearted feeling of I'm stepping out on a journey and I have no idea he's carefree you can see him he's just kind of stepping off the cliff because he's just jumping into the unknown he has no idea what's coming so I, I always find it's it's kind of a fanciful card it's like ooh, I got something interesting a new journey and then um, every card afterwards is his journey through life and so the last card is the world or the universe. And so he has completed his journey. And now he is he is fully whole as an individual. And he's no longer that fool stepping off that ledge into the unknown. So the, the major arcana cards, I'm guessing, are the ones that people were excited to pull because they kind of have the highest profile. And they're ones that are more traditionally associated with kind of life lessons and, and karma. Mm-hmm. And, and I, until I was reading about this, I would have thought the same thing, that the most misunderstood cards are death and the hanged man, yeah. which you just <gasps> or I the pulled, tower. Or the tower. I pulled <laughs> death. That, I mean, what do these cards actually signify? Death does not mean death, right? No, it typically just means rebirth because that's all death is. You know, a lot of times we, we forget that life and death are the opposite of each other. And so after death, there's new birth, there's rebirth. And then with the tower, I think that it also shows new beginnings. It's like you have this big tower that's in flames and it's falling down and it's really showing that everything that you know is going to crumble. But yet again, there's going to be a transformation there and it's crumbling because it needs to disintegrate and because you have better things coming. And the hanged man. And the hanged man. Yeah, the hanged man is an interesting one because it has a, um, it has actually a lot of spiritual background to it. But it's a man just hanging upside down, and it's really all about hanging in there. <laughs> Honestly, it's about understanding that you're in a place where things are not going to come quickly. They're not going to come easily, and you need to be patient because there's a lesson that needs to be learned, and it needs to be fully understood. So there really isn't a bad card to pull. I wonder who did pull uh, The Hanged Man? Which local artist do you remember? It was Barry Gaynor, actually, who's <laughs> well known about town for making these amazing banjos. And so the banjo that he has on display in the gallery is just awesome. So he does a lot of really beautiful inlay work on the necks, mm-hmm. and it just 
it looks fantastic. So for anyone who might be thinking of taking up the banjo, having this hanged man banjo is really appropriate because it's probably not going to come quickly or easily. <laughs> yeah. You're going to need to be patient and just hang in there. Yeah. So. And who pulled who pulled death? Well, that's really funny. It was a teacher um, at the Art League, Fatima. And Fatima is just the sweetest, kindest <laughs> woman ever. And she certainly balked at first when she pulled the death card. But it ended up, like we've been saying, be re- it was really appropriate for her life. She is having a baby in the fall. She's moving into a new house. And so she's going through a lot of changes in her life. And so when she started to read into the death card and learn about how it is this period of change and new beginnings and old things ending you know she really reflected on that and I think it became a really important part of her journey for her Karen what is your favorite card mmm that's that's really tough I actually really like the tower. Most people would say that the tower is potentially the scariest card in the deck because it means your world is going to be blown apart. You are going to be brought down low to your knees. But I have found that the process of learning to be humble Mm -hmm. is one of the most important things that you can do in life. And so learning to recognize everything that you've built up around yourself is is fleeting the tower cannot save you you know you you think you can climb high in this um world that society has built and prestige and all of that stuff you will be brought low at some point in your life by something and so just remembering that being reminded of that is just it's so important it it keeps you so grounded and healthy so yeah it's the difference between a breakthrough or a breakdown Mm -hmm. you have a choice right yeah absolutely and and that depends again on which way up it's standing does it if it's reversed yeah and what's really interesting about that card is that typically when it's reversed it actually still has a negative meaning it means oh you are not taking this easily but it can also mean the opposite it really depends on your story where you're heading what other cards are around if you're actually doing a full reading with like the celtic cross where there's other cards they all work together and they all speak their own narrative so if you just look it up in a book, you're going to see, oh, actually, the tarot reverse or the tower reverse is even worse. But maybe that's not the case in your, you know, in your experience. So, Louise, talk about some of the works that people can see in the show. Oh, sure. Well, I think one thing that I really love about this show is that we had a lot of different artists from different mediums who participated. So it's not just painting or drawing. We have 3D work and sculpture and all kinds of different mediums. So I really encourage everyone to come and see everything that we have. It's been really fascinating to see how each artist adapted the card to work for their medium. So we have some big pieces, some small pieces, some sculpture work that's really wonderful. Um, when you walk into the gallery, there is right in the center the King of Cups, which was uh, selected by Carl Spriggs. And he is a woodworker out of Roachport, and he made a giant cup, a really, really giant cup. It's huge. It's huge, yeah. But it's also a lamp. So if you're looking for you know, a lamp, it's you know, multifunctional. So that's a really wonderful one. Um, There's another big wood sculpture by Tom Stouter as well. There's some really beautiful paintings by 
Jane Mudd and Dan Stapleton, some photography. Some of the jewelry really surprised yes. me, too. When, when jewelers came in and drew a card, I, I was a little worried for them because, you know, they work in such a different medium, and it's kind of limiting in, in terms of how much symbolism you can work in. But, man, they just knocked it out of the park. Some of the jewelry pieces are Tell us about really one of the jewelry pieces. Well, Teresa St. Vrain picked, was hers the Five of Pentacles, yes. I think? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, you know, she's a very fabulous metal worker and she just does this really modern kind of beautiful jewelry work and so her piece is kind of a hand it's like an upside down hand and she has i believe she has peridot mm-hmm. five peridot pentacles on it and um who's our other jeweler who did the sword yes that was El Hina. um mm-hmm, yeah. she chose i think she had the one of swords but she did this beautiful reticulated silver piece mm-hmm. with a um ruby on it and she was telling me and I think this is indicative of most of the pieces in the show why she chose the ruby it represents you know the 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 knighthood associated with the sword and I think it's just really interesting how all of the pieces in the show every decision that the artist made is so intentional the colors the symbols the images everything represents either their interpretation of the card or something associated with the card. So it's really so much fun to go into the gallery and spend so much time looking at each piece and really understanding why artists chose this or that and understanding the imagery and the storytelling of all of the pieces. Karen, knowing what you know about the meanings behind the cards, are there any artworks that stand out for you because the artist interpreted it in a really interesting way and not what you expected? Mm. Were there any uh, big deviations from what usually is the a norm for an interpretation? That's a good question. Because I guess there are so many ways you can interpret There really are. It's, it's so infinite. And like Louise said, all the artists really they gave it so much thought even down to their color choices. So there are a lot of people that you'll recognize the card really readily. Other people you know did such a modern twist on it i know i keep talking about the tower but my friend phil gresham did the tower and he's a woodblock printer and his tower is this um pile of burning cars like in a junkyard it's like this dumpster fire of of used trashed cars and it's so perfect because i know that for the last year that has been the story of his life like he's just had (laughs) one car explosion after another which is so perfect for the tower it's just like everything's falling apart (laughs) and so he just has this big stack of cars on you know on fire and so people really made it personal and you know you kind of expect to see all of this mystical ancient imagery and some people really did draw on that but other people took a very modern very personal approach which is really fun to see we mentioned Anastasia Pottinger's work before and I think as she's had it on Facebook you know it's not giving any secrets away I mean it is an amazing it's four cups Mm -hmm. and uh, after I saw the work I went and looked up the four cups to see what the meaning was (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's a a beautiful young man kind of blonde guy and he's sitting on the floor and he has three cups three just mugs like regular white coffee mugs in front Mm -hmm. of him and then hanging on a string behind him is another cup with some words on it which I can't say which on can't air say. Yeah, yeah, can't say on. <laughs> but basically it says take the cup yeah. um, and it is I mean it's so it's so spare it's such a clean beautiful work and the, and the story behind the four caps Michelle is what? Um, well actually I was the one who inspired her to go that direction because we were having a discussion about the four of cups and of course I've had experience with four of cups because it's um, the traditional Smith 
illustration has a man and he's sitting under a tree and he's got his arms all crossed and he's looking at the three cups and then there's kind of this cup coming out of nowhere with this like godlike presence and like take the cup dude just take the cup and he's so focused on the cups on the ground and he's just you know not even paying attention to the gift that's been given to him and so I sent her like a little illustration that um, and she was like that's exactly what I'm going through and she did decide to take the cup and she really did change a lot of things she was going a different direction and it totally altered what she was originally going to do. Now, you have a work in the show. You said it was the Three of Swords. Yeah, I did the Three of Swords, yes. And and, uh, tell us about your piece. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, I haven't been so lucky in love, so I decided (laughs) that this was definitely fitting for me, but also, at the same time, working through the card, I worked through a lot of stuff, so I made it a lot happier than... Because I really wanted to take the more, okay, now I've moved on from that, and now I've grown as an individual. And, again, seeing the reverse side of it, where, you know, it you grow from your challenges and I think that card more than any really shows you that you know even though there's a part of you that's lost you know once it's reversed it's like hey guess what you're moving on good job keep going being so such a I mean you're a collector of tarot decks I'm sure was it was it harder for you to come up with an original design because you've seen so many as opposed to somebody that's never seen a tarot deck did you put the bar higher for yourself maybe yeah I think I did and I and I find that when I put the bar really high for myself I just (laughs) kind of overdo things but (laughs) but yeah I'm actually working on my own deck right now and so I'd already worked on that card and um, right now everything I've done is just preliminary so it's kind of interesting to push it to the next level because right now I just have illustrations and the original white so basically to to give an idea what I did for the deck is I have a heart with a kind of a tree the original had a dried up tree and this woman upside down and she's holding herself and again the three swords in it Um, my newer version she's actually upright there's leaves on the tree still the swords but there's also a lock so it's again unlocking the heart and understanding that even through heartbreak and anything traumatic that may happen to you there's still a passageway through it to a greener pasture you've mentioned a couple of times that pamela coleman smith artist who was kind of an arts and craft artist and her deck was from i think the 20s and it's known as the rider weight mm-hmm. smith deck yes um and that i think for me is the one that when i imagine a tarot card that imagery is the most yes. clear how, how many how many decks do you have and, and which ones do you want are there some mm-hmm. as a collector of decks are the ones that you're really seeking yeah so I actually bought my first tarot deck when I was 16 at Cool Stuff. I don't know if any of you guys remember Cool Stuff, but they had tarot decks there. That was like the only place I knew to get them. This was before the internet, so. (laughs) But uh, I went in and I bought a Book of Toth or Toth deck, and that's actually by Aleister Crowley. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea kind of just how, you know, and what, he was an early 20th how in, century yeah, cult person. Yeah, yeah. how in infamous that he really was. I just really, it really, the imagery really spoke to me and is my favorite deck by uh, far. And I'm really into Oracle decks, which is totally going a different direction. But uh, instead of having, you know, the typical 78 card deck, Oracle decks are a divination tool, but they can be um, any card, meaning there is no specific formula. And so the deck of cards at Cal that is on the wall right now will be turned into a deck of cards that people can purchase. And will there be any tarot readings at tonight's opening? There won't be readings tonight because we don't have the deck printed yet. We'll have to photograph all the work oh, of course. And, and print the deck and all of that. But um, on November 2nd, which is close to the close of the show, we will have the decks prepared and we're planning to have a big deck launch party where we'll have tarot readings. We're going to have it 
as a costume party since it's so close to Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have all kinds of really fun things planned. So that will definitely be a fun event uh, to drop in on as well. So. And so tonight's event is 6 till 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. at the Columbia Art League. It's yes. free to attend. I'm guessing that some works have already got red dots on them. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Did you put a red dot on one, Karen? No, I have not okay. placed a red dot on one yet. We'll see uh, We'll see what I can scrounge up out of my pockets here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is there one that you are desirous of? There are several that I'm desirous of. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think Jane Mudd's piece is absolutely stunning. I mean, I would, I would probably buy half of the show if I had. Yeah. Cash, right. right? <laughs> we'll see what I what I land with. So, is this going to be a regular show now that because there were so many extra people that wanted to be in it? Do you think you can do like a, a regular tarot show and deck? Well, we're working on the 2019 schedule now, and it doesn't look like we'll do it next year, but, you know, we might bring it back in the future. So definitely stay tuned. Anyone who's interested in participating in any of our shows can see our full schedule online at ColumbiaArtLeague.org. We put up the full schedule for the year, so if you want to get in on something, you know, you can always look in the future and prepare for those shows. You can see what you know, card you pull, and then you'll know which show you're going to be yes, in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, okay, so anybody wanting to come along to see the Arcana show at Columbia Art League, it's tonight from 6 to 8 p.m. It's free to come along, and the show will be up through November 9th. November the 9th, you've got plenty of time to come and see it. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. Thank, thank, you. thank you. I'll yeah. see you tonight. All right. You're listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia, and I've been talking with Karen Short-Stout, Louise Starber, and Michelle Markham from the Columbia Art League about the new show opening in the gallery this evening, Arcana. I'll be back with a look at the events that are coming up over the next seven days. Show, as usual, with a look at some of the events that are coming up over the next few days in and around Columbia. Tonight is the opening reception, as we just heard, for the Columbia Art League's big show, Arcana, an artistic exploration of the world of tarot cards with 78 works by local artists. The reception is from 6 till 8 tonight, and there is no cost to attend. It's also opening weekend for the last in Maplewood Barnes' summer season of theatre with Sherlock Holmes and the Adventure of the Suicide Club. Show starts at 8 p.m., and tickets are $10. Summerfest returns to the Blue Note with a concert by the Turnpike Troubadours. That show starts at 7 and tickets are 29. Meanwhile over at Cafe Berlin, the Ina Cook Band, who you heard on Mike Hagen's show earlier, have their album release party tonight at 9 and tickets are $5. And at Catfish Katie's, you can hear the Daves play live at the Station House from 6 till 8. Tomorrow, Saturday, there's a big party at the Yin Yang Club tomorrow night when RuPaul drag queen contestant Juju B flies into town for Demanda's birthday extravaganza. The evening show gets underway at 10 and Tickets cost either $15 or $20 if you want a VIP meet and greet. Saturday night, the Blue Note hosts a 90s versus noughties music video battle with DJ Requiem. Dress your favorite decade. Doors open at 9 and there's a $5 entry fee. In Jefferson City, you can salsa e bailo with DJ Pablo at the bridge from 7 onwards. And Saturday is also opening night for the Next in the Lyceum Theatre season with the Missouri professional premiere of The Farce, A Comedy of Tenors. There are two shows on Saturday at 2 and 8 and matinees on Sunday, Wednesday and Thursday. That show continues next weekend. On Sunday, depending on what your music tastes are, you've got a few chilled out Labor Day weekend options. Downtown at Rose Music Park, you can relax at the Mo Jazz Music Festival from 12 o'clock. That's organised by the Jazz Forward Initiative and the festival includes the Funky Knuckles, the James Ward Band, the Tom Anders Quintet, amongst others. And this is a free event. You can also head out to Cooper's Landing for their end of summer bash with music from 1pm onwards. Later 
in the day, uh, the Bocomo Ramble takes over the stage back at Rose Park with Todd Day Waits, Pigpen and others in a show presented by KOPN's own Real Deal Country Show. That show starts at 7 and admission is free. On Tuesday morning at 10am, the Museum of Arts and Archaeology's informal sketch group will meet. There's no RSVP or previous experience required. Just turn up and start sketching. On Wednesday the 5th, Matt and Kim take to the Blue Note stage with music from their sixth studio album. A show starts at 8pm and tickets are $25. Over at Cafe Berlin, Trio Cat and Loose Loose are on the stage from 8pm. Or another Wednesday evening option is to bring a picnic blanket or lawn chair to Rose Park for the latest in their Movies in the Park series, a screening of Superbad starring Jonah Hill and Michael Cera. The film starts at 8.30 and admission is free. One of the first events in this year's One Read program is the first Thursday book discussion with historian and author Greg Olson at the Daniel Boone Regional Library, and that's next Thursday from noon till one. He'll be talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. Thursday the 6th is also the opening night for Tuesdays with Maury at Talking Horse Theatre, featuring J.J. Musgrove and Aaron Crowitz. That show runs for two weekends and tickets are $15, and hopefully they'll be on next week's show. And in a slight change to the schedule, Chase Rice will perform at the Blue Note on Thursday Thursday the 6th. This is instead of performing a Summerfest concert on the 8th. Show starts at 8pm and I believe only limited tickets are still available. You've been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia with me Diana Moxon and engineer Mike Hagen. I'll be back next week with more news, views and interviews about the arts in mid-Missouri. Stay arty Columbia.